What's going on, everybody? It's Jamel Gibbs, your family-oriented entrepreneur. Welcome to another podcast episode. This is the Business and Investing Podcast, where you learn all things business and investing related. Now, today we have a special guest who's crushing it right now, just to, to say the least. Now, I reached out to him a couple of weeks ago. I've been following him on Facebook and um, social media for for. Uh, quite a while now, a couple of years at this point, and I see what he's doing behind the scenes and I needed to bring him up because he's an active real estate investor like myself. And you guys know, I love to have other active investors on the line so you can see exactly what they're doing. So you can start winning in real estate as well. My man, Vernon Vaughn, what's up, bro? What's happening, man? Good, good to be here, man. Good to be oh, here. Man, Great to be a, here. Pleasure to have you, bro. I'm looking Thank forward you. to what we're going to discuss today. And I'm looking forward to uh, providing some value for the audience today, man. So why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, man? Well, man, I'm a, a longtime investor. Uh, started in this uh, business and industry like way back in 20, uh, 2003, 2003, right? So, so been at it. Been at it for the better part of 20 years. It doesn't feel like it because I'm always <laughs> learning new stuff yep. every single day. Uh, but yeah, I, I was attracted to this real estate business because I got to see people do it on their own terms, right? Mm -hmm. You could have one person who was, uh, you know, in a three-piece suit in a building with their name on the side of the building. And you could have somebody else who was uh, in jeans, sweatpants, or sneakers uh, without a business card. And they were all doing real estate investing and I, I like that, right? I, I love that you can kind of do it on your own terms. I love that about it. To this day, I still love that about it. Yeah, man. That's kind of my style, man. I, I like to, you know, when I was when I was a, a realtor, you know, obviously we're we're more casual because we 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 are dealing with clients. But you know, when right. you when you become your own business owner, man, you stop caring. Not that I you do. don't care, but you don't need to. You know, you don't need to have the three-piece suit on. You know what I mean? Yeah, so I, I like to be more laid back, man. You've been doing this just as long as I have, man. You know, I started in 02. And, um, you know, obviously you, you've been through market cycles and things like that. And um, you kind of know how to position yourself right now as well, man, which is uh, exactly what we want to talk about today, man. So how did you end up in real estate in general, man? Like what, obviously you were attracted to, the ambiance, the money, the, the money. money. I was attracted to the money. Oh, Let's <laughs> people, keep it real, right? <laughs> people are always like, "Did you play with building blocks as a kid? As a kid, did you build? Did you have a, you know, erector set?" And I'm like, "Nah, nah." Yeah. More than any other kid, I was. It wasn't like I was destined to be in real estate. I, uh, I saw the ability to to make money. Uh, that's what got me in it. Now, what keeps me in it is the. Uh, is you know it's real estate is is a is a staple right it is mm -hmm. it is a it is a need uh, while while real estate cycles and economic cycles may come and go uh, understand real estate is not a luxury item don't get me wrong you can live in a twenty thousand square foot mansion that's very luxurious but at its essence a roof over your head is not a luxury that's right. right. Uh, I wake up, you know, I wake up 4 a.m. every day. Um, so, you know, spring, fall, winter, whatever, no matter what, it's always dark when I get up, right? At 4 a.m., it's always Same dark. Same here, man. 
So, so when my feet hit the ground and it's still dark outside, typically most of my actions that day are kind of guided by three things, right? It is uh, keeping or getting food on the table for myself and my family, keeping or getting clothing on the backs for myself and my family, keeping or getting a roof over the head of myself and my family. And so real estate is a staple. It's mm-hmm. most adults spend a lot of time and effort um, securing that roof over their head. And that's 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 the part we play. We are in we are in the shelter business. I don't care if it's single family, multifamily. I don't care if it's residential, if it's self-storage, you're always providing shelter for somebody, their belongings or their business or their service. Uh, and so once you re- realize that about the business, man, you're like, hey, it's, forget cycles. I'm not dipping in and out of the business because the need for shelter never goes away. So that's what keeps me in it. Um, that's right, man. I yeah. love it, man. I love that answer too, man, because I mean, you know, a lot of people ask me all the time, you know, why... Why have a, you know, I've been in real estate over, over 20 years. Why, why have I stayed in the business, you know, through all the ups and downs, honestly, it's for the money, man. You know, um, you can love the real estate, but I do, I've grown to love what I do for a living. Um, but at first it was all about the money, man. Right. So, um, and I, and I know the potential, I knew the potential back then based off of what I seen other people do. So for me, you know, it was, it was, uh, it was the money. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, and that's, and that's cool because every, everybody, most, most, I, I say to say 99% of people want money, mm-hmm. right? 99% of people want money. And we know that if you take a look at how many people actually have money, when we take a look at the quote unquote 1%, right? Mm-hmm. So that would say that, well, 99% of people want money. 99% of people don't have money, you don't have enough. Uh, That's right. You know, don't have what they feel is enough. And so warning it isn't, isn't enough. Um, it comes down to being able to provide value, right? right? And the, your compensation is tied directly to the size of the problem that you solve. Bigger the problem you solve, the, the more value you add and, and, and typically the uh, more well compensated you are. So like, you you know, in a, in a real estate business, once again, we get in to make money and then we realize that to, to stay here, mm-hmm. we got to start solving some big problems, right? We got to, we have to go over, we have to go after stuff people don't, don't want to deal with, yep. uh, stuff that scares people. Uh, and that is where we get a chance to, to shine and to make a lot of money, but to say, you know what? Also, I provided, I provided outstanding value. Mm-hmm. And, and to be quite honest, man, you know, let, let's just keep it real. This is not an easy business. You know, it's a simple business, but it's not an easy business. And that's why most people don't last or they never get off the ground because they're they're not true problem solvers. So you 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 said something that was critical right there. You know, the the bigger the problem you can solve, the more you're compensated, right? So if you become the best problem solver locally, then you'll make the, the most money over time. And, and that's another key factor to it. It takes time to be able to build a business like this. So this doesn't happen in 30 days. 
you know, I hate it when people say, you know, make a million dollars in 30 days. It's just not, I mean, it's feasible. Anybody can do it, right? Well, not anybody. Let, let me take that. It's possible for anybody to make a million dollars, but the chances of that happening is like one in a billion, right? right? It took me a year to make my first $1,500 in real estate. You know, now we're talking 23 years later, 22 years later, or however long that's been, you know, but, right. um, you know, you got to become a very good problem solver, which ties into this question I, I have for you, man. So what are some of the obstacles that people are going to face when they're trying to start their real estate business or get it off the ground? Yeah, so so they are going to face challenges at every step of, of the way. Now, you got to be okay with that, right? You got to be okay with that. Uh, so, so, you know, depending on where they're starting, you know, as, as investors, we, we look for equity. Okay. So we look for equity. Um, and so the first thing you've got to realize is that as an investor who's looking for equity, uh, Understand that most people that have equity, the best way for them to uh, sell that asset and, and get as much of that equity as possible is to expose it to the open market, is to list it, right? And to try to sell it for a uh, top dollar. I, mm -hmm. I know when I'm selling an asset, I'm, I want I want 100% of retail value. If I can get 110% of retail value, I'll take it, right? Uh, but as an investor, you know, I, I buy and I look for a discount. I look mm -hmm. for equity. And so first thing you've got to realize is you've got to realize like, okay, nine out of 10 people that have a house they need to sell probably aren't my customer. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I got to be okay with that. I can't get bummed out about that. And so uh, one way I look at it is like, okay, if I'm talking to 10 people, my assumption is that nine of them, I don't really have a chance to add value uh, to nine of them, right? That's I don't really right. have a chance to, to, to deliver value and that's okay. So, so I need to, I need to be okay with saying, okay, I need to speak with the nine people who aren't my customer hmm. as quickly and as efficiently as possible so that the 10th person, right? The one I need to talk to, I'm having that conversation. And my assumption is always, it's always going to be the 10th person. You know, if it's one out of 10, it's not going to be the first it's going to be the very last, mm. right? And so I need to uh, be able to talk and I have to be okay with that, right? And, and we, and you realize that as you kind of seek out um, these challenges, that once you find or identify a challenge, you've typically, you've also found and identified uh, an opportunity. That's right. right? Because, if, I mean, you said it, you said it just a, a minute ago that the business isn't easy. It's simple. So if it was certainly easy, everyone would do it and it probably wouldn't be worth doing. Uh, so it's not easy because you, you deal with rejection, you deal with inefficiency. Uh, I'm going to tell you this, in this business, the houses are the easy part, man. Houses, look, once you've seen one, you've seen them all. It's the people, right? It's the sellers. It's your, your buyers. It's your contractors. It's your renters. It's your... Um, it's your person at the uh, permit office that just doesn't show any sense of urgency. Uh, it's the inspector. It's your it's your vendor. So it's the people that can throw you curveballs. The the houses, the sticks and bricks. There, they're inanimate objects, man. They they don't care one way or another. But it's the people that that uh, 
that kind of see you have a system and then show total disregard for your system. That's <laughs> true, man. And that provides true meaning to the, to the phrase, this is a people's business. <laughs> you know what I mean? It is. Um, because it, it truly is, you know, you deal with people all day long. So the better you are with people, the more success you'll have in due time. So um, obviously there's going to be obstacles and, and things like that. What are some of the obstacles that you face coming up? Um, I mean, you know, just starting out in the business um, and, and to this day, I mean, marketing, right? So marketing for, for some people, marketing is a very exact science that if they always put in X, they always yield X for the rest of us. We are like, man, I, I don't know if this campaign is going to, it's going to work or not. Right. Um, and so, uh, mar marketing is, is always a challenge. It's, uh, marketing is both, uh, both art and science. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and so marketing, uh, to find leads, to find prospects, all, always a challenge. You can always get better at that. Um, uh, on the, on the rehabbing side or building side, dealing, dealing with contractors, man, dealing with, you know, contractors, um, are your partners in your business, whether you, whether you realize it or not. And if you're smart, you'll, you'll make sure that number one, you realize it. And number two, that they realize it. Like right. your your contractors, if you're if you're rehabbing, if you're building, if you're buying holding, uh, your contractors, your tradespeople, often have more impact over your business than than your partners, than than anybody who signed an operating agreement. They've your contractors have more power than them. Your contractors mm -hmm. can literally bring a project to a standstill. Your contractors can make a profitable project one that's not profitable. And, and you, you got to make sure that they understand that because sometimes, you know, contractors that it's not that they're bad people, but when they don't understand how significant their impact is, um, it's easy for them to say something like, I, I will be there Monday. And Monday turns into Wednesday and Wednesday turns into Friday yep. and Friday turns into next Monday. If they don't know, Hey, I, I realize you're busy. Maybe you, you know, your, your car is broken down. Maybe you're just tired. I realize that, but I need you to understand that here's how that week, here's how that four days impacted my business. It, it meant that, um, you know, on this, on this project that you're doing, you know, you know, maybe you don't know it. Uh, but I'm going to tell you, you know, my, my carrying cost is $175 a day. So understand if I miss a week, um, it costs me quite a bit of money. Mm -hmm. Furthermore, if, if you don't come on Monday, um, there was, there's somebody else waiting to come behind you three days later. And if that person can't come, you know, next week, that person's going to be on vacation for two weeks and, and, and I won't have an opportunity to get them. So I just, I need you to understand things happen, but just understand how they impact, uh, my, me, my business and, and even down to my family. Right. Absolutely, man. Yeah. So, you know, thinking about all of that and, and understanding how you came into the business, obviously, well, let me ask you this. How did you come into investing in real estate? Did you come in as a rehabber, new construction, you know, wholesaler? How did you yeah. start? 
So, so very, very first deal I did was, was a lease option. Lease option. Lease option that, nice. that turned into a, essentially turned into a light rehab mm-hmm. and, uh, then jumped, jumped into the deep end into a rehab where I was like over my head and, you know, mm-hmm. I made all the mistakes, uh, paid a contractor too much to start. Uh, he did one day of work and, and then ran I've off. I've seen him again. Yeah. I, oh, I saw him again. It, it's, oh, you it's did? funny because yeah, it, it's, it's, yeah, it's, yeah, this, this podcast is right on time because, uh, <laughs> he wouldn't answer his phone at all. Wouldn't answer his phone. I had his address. He wouldn't even answer the door. Right. Uh, and he came recommended from somebody else. Uh, but I'm like, you know, man, is, is he okay? What's, what's wrong with him? Mm-hmm. Uh, he just kind of went MIA and, um, <laughs> the only way I finally was able to talk to him, get FaceTime with him, uh, was that I went to his house on Thanksgiving day because I was like, he's probably knew he home. was there. No, he was home. Yeah. Not and this past, not this past Thanksgiving, right? No, no, no. This, no, this, this, <laughs> this, this is way back. This is way back when I started. Right. But, uh, it's funny. Like it's this, this time of year. Uh, and so, yeah, I went his front door was a wide open. He had like a storm door, uh, knocked on the door. I was like, man, where you been? And nothing came out of it. He never came back to the, to the site, mm-hmm. but, uh, but uh, yeah, I made all all the mistakes you uh, you could make. Yeah. Um, uh, but after, but but you know, the great thing about that project was um, I I learned wholesaling accidentally. Mm. Um, while I had this project kind of sitting, I I put up a we buy houses sign in the yard. I'm like mm-hmm. I figured, hey, it's my yard, might as well. Yep. And then I was like, well, look, I might as well put one down at the corner on that telephone pole. And then I might as well put one on the other telephone pole. And then I'm like, hey, I got, you know, like I had 20 signs. I used I used two. Might as well give her the other 18 in the neighborhood and uh, ended up wholesaling two houses within like a three block radius of this project I had that was uh, sitting. So I, I learned wholesaling out of necessity and, and by accident, man. Crazy, man. I, you know why? Because I actually put signs in front of every single project that whether we're doing a new construction project or rehab or whatever, I put signs out in front of every single project so that people can see and, you know, start to call those signs up. So we don't do mass. We used to do a lot of mass uh, blitz style um, bandit sign hanging, but we don't do that anymore. We just put them in front of our properties because we don't get any hassles from the city. They can't tell right. me I can't put it in front of my property. So wow. like you said, yeah, so yeah. very similar business model right there, man. So how did you end up getting into new construction? Uh, so, so, you know, markets force efficiency, right? Markets force efficiency. So, mm-hmm. so new construction is, you know, look, it's got its risk. It's, it's long, um, long time range, uh, kind of long horizon. Uh, red tape. So you, so you wonder like, so, so why would you get into it? Well, here's the deal. So coming out of 2009, right. Coming on the other side of the foreclosure crisis, there was a couple of years, um, where, where you could find great deals on market Mm -hmm. and it would seem like it was almost no competition. Right. And so it was it was a reward for getting through that cycle right it was a reward for for getting through 08 and 09 if you're still in a business you were rewarded by doing 
getting as, as many deals as you wanted, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what I noticed was that very quickly, like yeah, 2012, competition started coming back into, into the market, mm-hmm. some new competition. People that had no context who had not lived through 0809. And I already saw people doing what I consider to be overpaying. And I was like, man, like, don't they know? Like, like after what we just got the room and there's so many deals out there, why would you, why would you overbid for anything? Mm-hmm. Uh, but nonetheless, they, they, they still overbid it. Um, and so things like carpet and paint rehabs got to be very competitive. You were competing against other investors, uh, landlords, um, corporate, corporate buyers started coming into the market. Yep. Uh, and homeowners, right? People who wanted to, you know, f- you know, watch HGTV and say, "Hey, I'll do some sweat <laughs> equity." And so then you move to stuff that's a little more uh, intense, you know, rehabs that are that are bigger and scarier. And for a little while, you don't have much competition on that. But before you know it, you, you've got competition there. Mm-hmm. And then we started taking on stuff that you know, uh, properties that were fire damaged or needed foundation repair. Uh, once again, for a little while, no competition, but before you know it, people are like bidding, bidding those way up. And, and so I saw an opportunity in new construction, right? I, at that point, I had done um, enough rehabs that were large enough in scope where I figured, okay, with land, um, I don't think many people are, are seeing the opportunity. Right. I, I think many people like me that have have some time spent in the business are intimidated because I was definitely intimidated by it. I, I saw all the red tape, everything that could go wrong. And so I was intimidated and I was like, all right, man, I mean, that's probably a great opportunity, right? If, if you know smart people are looking at this opportunity and they're like, nope, not for me. Uh, you you just need to go a step further, right? You need mm-hmm. to find a way to make it to make it work, and that was that was what attracted me to it. Not you know not because I like spending months uh, in uh, design and permitting, not because I like uh, inspections, uh, but because that challenge was an opportunity, right? I didn't like it. I knew other people didn't like it either. So I was like, all right, great. Now now find a way to make it work. That's a that's a fantastic way to think about things, man. You know, you're looking for the opportunity versus, you know, the love of something. And that's I think a lot of people, you know, when they when they're trying to do anything in life, right? They look for something that because we're always taught do what you love to do, do what you're passionate about. Nah, that's not how this thing works, man. <laughs> look for the opportunities. The opportunities are the money makers, not the not the thing you're passionate because you could be passionate about. You know, I used to cut hair when I was. When I was younger, I owned okay. a barbershop. I used to draw. I still draw today. I'm passionate about it, right? Um, but there's no money in, for me at least, there's no money in the barbershop business. There's no money in, you know, yeah, there's money in art, but not for me. I'm not right. uh, Picasso. You right. know what I mean? Um, so what do, you, what do you do? You know, I'm passionate about sports. I'm not in the NBA. I'm not in the NFL. I could have. I probably could have gone in the NFL, but that's a whole other story. Okay. Um, the whole point is I'm passionate about those things, but the opportunities are right here. Right. And most people, when they start their career, where do, where do most people end up? Or 
thinking they want to end up. They they think about real estate at the end of the day. So this is where it's at. Right. You know, so um, why don't we provide our listeners with a three to five step process from start to finish. Now we're talking to a lot of newer real estate investors right now. So if you feel like, I don't want to answer this for you. If you feel like they shouldn't be doing what you're doing right now, we should say that we should address that and tell them what they should do in order to get to that level. But on the flip side of that, we also have some experienced investors that's listening to this podcast right now who would like to get into maybe some new construction type of type right. of stuff. I right. talk about it a lot on my channel as well. You and I, we have similar business models, man. That's what attracted me to want to give you a call and, um, and, and, and have you on this podcast. So, it, it, but it's always better to hear it from somebody else as well. Right. Because you right. can hear it from me. I could talk to him until I'm blue in the face, but, um, sometimes when you hear it from somebody else, it resonates differently, man. So why don't we provide a, maybe a three to five step process on how someone can get started in new, in a new construction business? Yeah, ab absolutely. So, so for new construction, I mean, there are, I consider the four, the four F's, right? So the four F's, the first F is, is to find, right? So find the area where you want to build in, um, or e even if you're wholesaling lots, find the area where builders want to build in. Um, look, most of this planet is water, but then after water, you've still got a lot of land left, right? So it is, you know, even if you look at major cities, you know, um, that are highly populated, if you still look at the map of the United States, a lot of areas that are still vacant land, right? Doesn't mean everywhere is somewhere where somebody wants to build or live. Mm -hmm. So you first, you have to know uh, why someone would want to build in a certain area or why somebody would want to want to live there. Um, you know, as real estate investors, we make a living out of finding a needle in a haystack, right? Uh, rehab, rent, rental, doesn't matter, land, we're trying to find uh, something that's, that's valuable, right. With, with some equity, with some upside to it. And, uh, so it's important when finding a needle in a haystack is to make the haystack small. Right. Mm -hmm. And that starts with your criteria. And so one of the places or some of the characteristics of places I build are what I call high density, high value neighborhoods. These mm -hmm. are neighborhoods where, um, you know, uh, infrastructure is nearby. Um, the amenities that people want, like the restaurants, public transit, employment centers, major routes of travel, all of that stuff is right there. And in turn makes it very desirable to live and in mm -hmm. turn makes it very valuable real estate, right? And so once I determine, determine you know, determine that those were my uh, parameters, it pretty much made it easy to identify areas I want to build in, right? Made it very easy to say, okay, uh, here are 10 zip codes I want to build in. Uh, and once you start doing that, and once you know what you're looking for, it's kind of funny how when you get intentional, you start to find it, right? Like if I, I promise, if you say, if you're fixated on red cars, I guarantee you, you will start seeing red cars, everywhere, <laughs> right? 
that's the way it is. You, you, you'll start to see it everywhere. And, um, and, and so step one is, is being able to find what, what I'm looking for. Uh, number two is, is doing feasibility. So, so you, you found it, you've got to make sure that this, uh, lot you're looking at, or if you're a rehabber, this house you're looking at, that it passes feasibility. Everything you find isn't going to be a deal or is it going to be a good deal? Right. Right. I mean, I'm, I'm building in areas that are, are already 90% built up. So if I find mm. a vacant lot, I see, I can't get too excited. Right. I got to keep a, I got to keep a level head. I got to check my emotions. I've got to first ask myself, great. The area is 90% built up. How come no one built on this lot right here? Mm. Right. It's up to me to find out why. Sometimes it's sometimes it's a perfect good reason. Other times uh, there's something that's a, a, a hidden landmine, uh, something that will kill a deal. Is the reason they didn't build. So so I need to know that, right? It's my job to uncover. Um, third step is is funding a deal uh, using you know having a capital step, right? Using a combination of cash on hand, uh, private or hard money lenders. Uh, investors or banks, right? Having that capital stack to uh, be able to get into the deal and to be able to, um, you know, do your construction. And then the, the last part is, is, is flipping it, is the actual doing of building it, right? Managing uh, construction. Um, also, if you're, you know, if, if you're wholesaling land, you're, you know, you, you're, you're, you're skipping a couple of steps, but you're still finding it. Mm-hmm. You're having your, your end buyer do feasibility. You're not worried about funding it because you're not buying it and you're flipping, you know, in that sense, you're flipping is, uh, your exit is wholesaling that lot, but it's, it's, you know, the new build overall kind of framework, um, is kind of broken down into four major components. And that doesn't matter if you're, uh, building house number 100, or if you're looking at your, your first lot, uh, you can kind of break it up into those, those four, uh, major steps of it. And what, what are some of the requirements for people to qualify? Cause obviously finding the land is, it can be the most difficult part, right? Especially if you don't know what you're looking for. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of, some you have infill lots, then you have raw land, you know, if you, if you if you want to go through the trouble of developing the raw land to to make it buildable, that's a whole different animal. Are you buying infill lots directly, or are you knocking down, uh, are you buying raw land and knocking down trees and stuff like that? No, or it just so depends? so almost all of my deals are infill lots. In, yeah. in, infill is simply building in an area that's already built up, right? Things ninety percent built up. Um, infrastructure like utilities right there at the lot roads and curb and gutter and sidewalk right mm-hmm. there um and the, the advantage is you know you get to stay agile you, you don't mm-hmm. spend uh you know if if it can take you six figures and in, in years to bring infrastructure to to vacant parcels of land especially mm-hmm in areas where, um, where that infrastructure isn't there yet. Right. Um, and infill is the, is, is the exact opposite. It's, it's literally, you know, you've got, you know, houses to the right, houses to the left, houses across the street, and you're just filling in the blank 
um, in this in this empty space. So we, it provides you with a lot of um, strategic advantages uh, as opposed to having to spend time and, and money uh, in infrastructure. That's um, right, man. Yeah, and it's I mean, and, and finding it, you know, finding it once again. So what I, you know, so I identified, you know, areas of neighborhoods that were, once again, high density, high value, right? I was looking at trends. Um, one of my favorite neighborhoods, uh, you know, six, seven years ago, uh, I noticed a, a Whole Foods was being built, right? Mm-hmm. The, only, the only Whole Foods in, in, in this county, um, in this county, uh, right outside of DC, already in affluent county. So the entire, you know, most of the county was affluent. Um, but, um, you know, this Whole Foods selected this neighborhood. So I'm like, okay, Whole Foods doesn't just open up anywhere, right? But before they put shovels in the ground, I'm sure they've spent time and money doing research to make sure that that's the right place to be. That's the same thing with the Starbucks effect, man. You 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 build a, you buy in neighborhoods where there's a Starbucks because they've done their market research already, so they've done it for you. You know Starbucks, what I mean? Starbucks, <laughs> um, hot yoga. Yep. Whatever, yep. man. All right, man. The market day research day. is done. Yep. Whatever. Yep. Yeah. Well, once again, without you spending, without you spending money, uh, you don't. You not. You you know. Look, you don't have to be first. Mm-hmm. Right. You don't have to be first. You can be third or fourth or fifth. And still do very, very well, yep. and uh, yeah, and so and so finding it is is like you know, look, use you know, kind of using your intuition, using your hunches, it, especially in markets. You know, that's a huge advantage in investing in markets that you know is that um, there are things you know about the market that will never show up in any type of report or database ever. You've got because you live there. You've got insight that other people would kill to have, and so there's an advantage in in take in, in kind of using that insight uh, to make uh, investing decisions. Uh, but if, like, let's say you're, you're new and, and you're not a builder, you don't know anything about construction. Well, you go to neighborhoods where you you have a hunch about, and you find people like me, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're in if you're in any of the neighborhoods I'm building in. And you go by one of my sites um, on my uh, permit. I've got my name and telephone number on there as required by uh, by the county. Um, if you talk to any of my contractors, they'll pass my phone number along. You can look me up in uh, property tax records to see who, who, who owned it, uh, what we bought it for. So like you can you can very easily reverse engineer. Mm-hmm. Um, just by getting out and, and seeing what's going on. Because if you find, if you see me building in a neighborhood and you talk to me, or even if you look at the property tax record and you see how much I paid for this lot, it's safe to say that if, if you found another lot in that neighborhood, as long as it's buildable, it's safe to say I would probably pay the same price. That's right. right. And then you wholesale it to them. <laughs> and, and most... And many, many builders, many builders uh, and just investors in, in general are always looking for more deals. Mm-hmm. Builders especially are, are underserved, man. Builders don't have very many people sending them That's in the right. door. 
They don't, man. They don't. It, it's an it's an open market right now. You know, there's a lot of building going on. We're doing a we're doing a lot of building in my local area. But you can just see new construction. Now that the market, the, even with the high interest rates and everything, new construction is still hot right now. So it's a great, great market. And and now you can see the guys on social media popping up with the land courses and stuff like that. This yeah. uh, that's how you know it's hot. You know what I mean? Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> but you know, I mean, there there is, um, you know, don't, don't I mean, don't forget. I mean, there's a nationwide housing shortage. Yeah, nationwide housing shortage, which is huge for builders right now yeah. because the opportunities are endless at this point you know what i mean because of the shortage now if you had uh more if we had more houses than we need then obviously the business would be quite different but it's not right. man, so uh so what are you doing to find some of these lots so uh we're i mean so a few things like i mean i i, I still pick off great deals from the MLS, mm-hmm. right? Which, which is, I mean, that, that already tells you how, how land can be different from. How yeah. Because normally it would be high competition, but not everybody's looking at land, man. So yeah. I agree with that a hundred percent, man. Uh, word of mouth, word of mouth. So yeah. this is, this is where getting, this is where having what we call a buy box is, mm-hmm. is so instead of, because when I first started out, just like, Hey, I'm looking for land and people just send me land from everywhere. And then I was like, okay, that's not what I meant. And then I got very specific about, about my buy box. And so now anytime somebody uh, is like, hey, what are you looking for? I'll send them a quick two-page uh, screenshot showing, showing them my buy box. Like mm-hmm. here, here, here are the neighborhoods I'm buying in. Here are the property characteristics. And even like this is how much I'm paying for it. Like typically I'm buying land somewhere between 12 and 15% of the after build value. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can just show them like basically saying like, Hey, here, here's, here's something to help you bring me exactly what I'm looking for. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so, so word of mouth in my last, and then uh targeted list. So, so, you know, going to my neighborhoods and seeing vacant lots, um, you know, and, and those things uh, keep, keep the pipeline full. And I'm glad you mentioned the 12 to 15% of the after build value because a lot of people can tend to overpay. So what all that basically means, guys, is let's say that, you know, you can build a house for 150,000. Let's just throw some numbers out there. But when once it's built, it's worth 250, right? You're going to pay uh, 10 to 15% of that 250 for the land. So you got to reverse engineer that the rest of it is all profit for you. So that's basically how that works. You know, another way that we've been finding land lately, a couple of different ways. Um, number one, we're looking at small houses, two, two bedrooms, one bedroom houses, you know, maybe one bath and it needs a tremendous amount of work. We just picked one up actually last week for $40,000. We're going to knock the house down and build a new construction home on it in the neighborhoods that I'm buying in, right? So I know that those new construction homes are going for, you know, 240 in that area. I could build a house for 150. So I'll be all into it for close to 200, but, you know, we're talking about $50,000 in in net profit after that, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, that's one way. Another way is to look for burnouts and knock those down. You know, so you're looking for existing structures and just knocking them down if there's a shortage of land in the area. 
Um, another way is to simply look for land, right? So on the street, there's a, um, I, I bought a house at the auction back in September. We finished that, uh, that house off in like 30 days. Nice. Um, couple of houses, couple of properties down, there's an open lot. Mm-hmm. There used to be a house on there, right? But now it's just cleared land and, and, the, and the owner inherited the property. Um, he, his mom passed, he inherited it. He, he's not doing anything with it. I saw the codes office there the other day. So naturally we reached out and we're, he had it on the market at one point for 30 grand. We're, we're getting it for 15, man. So nice. just a, just a, just a nice. you know, different ways thinking outside the box. So once you, yeah. once you, um, find them, you need to know how to fund them. Right. right. Um, funding is a whole different ball game. You want to dig into that a little bit or? Yeah, I mean, funding, and like I say, funding. So when it comes to land, um, land isn't always as easily funded as, as a house is. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so you know, so we we both got in the business around the same time. So we know how we know how hard money used to be. Hard money yeah. uh, was, I mean, it was, it was not sophisticated at all. It was, it was very high interest rates. Yep. Um, and and uh, uh, hard money operations that weren't always run very well. Um, Bro, I remember being able to roll payments into loans, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but what happened was, you know, on on the other side of the foreclosure crisis, uh, Wall Street discovered hard money, or what they call alternative lending or asset based lending, right? Yeah. So you had Wall Street that came in very sophisticated but applied it to to hard money yeah and so it it got very easy to to borrow um money on a house very easy to right and so but when it comes to land with land it's not it's not necessarily as easy uh because here's a fact with a house uh, when a lender gives you money and if they're, if they have, if they have underwritten it correctly and they're sticking to their draw schedules, if things go wrong, they could have a pretty good chance of still being made whole. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, with land, a lender's worst fears that they loan you money for dirt. It is deemed something that's not buildable and it's worthless. Right. Mm-hmm. It's worthless, not worth anything. Right. Not not worth anything at all. And so with land, often a lender is going to look more at your track record. They're going to want to know, like, OK, have have you done this before? Um, and they may even look at the land itself and they'll say, OK, this land, is it just vacant land? Do you have plans, um, uh, plans and engineering completed? Do you have permits in hand? Right. Depending on where you are with the development of this dirt can affect how much they give you. Mm-hmm. So they may say, Hey, if it's just vacant land, like we're maybe we'll give you a tax, maybe we'll give you tax assessed value. Like maybe we won't loan at all. Okay. Do you have per, do you have plans done? Okay. Let's see your plans. Uh, based on your plans, we'll do, uh, uh, what we call a, a to be built appraisal. So we'll look at your plans. We'll even want to know what finishes you're going to do. And based on that, we'll appraise it and give you a portion of that. And if you get permits in hand, maybe we'll, we'll release some more to you. Uh, so it, it, with land, it really depends. There are lenders out here, everything from hard money to local banks, to big banks. Um, 
They have private lenders out there. So it's, it's a few ways you can do it. But once again, it all depends on both the asset, but also your track record, your, your track record. Just understand that if it's your first time doing it, you know, you, you might have some trouble um, raising some capital, right? So you might yeah. need to depend on um, investors or cash on hand. But if you can get it to the point where it's permitted, they're like, okay, you know, now it's it's buildable. And now we know that, okay, the the asset is 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 can do some of the heavy lifting. But before that, it, it may be up to you to do the heavy lifting. Yeah. And, you know, worst case scenario, if you've been around the business for a little while, private money lenders can come in handy. Gap lenders can come in handy. Right. But at the same time, you know, um, like Vernon was saying, you know, banks want to see that you have some type of experience. So if you don't have that experience, you may have to come out of your pocket in order to be able to make it happen. So yeah. that's why this may, if you're brand new and you're low on capital, this may not be the best option for you. So you get into, get f familiar with wholesaling land. So now you know how to find the asset. Then once you build up your capital to a point where you can support a new construction project, then you take it from there, right? So there's yeah. ways of doing everything. There's no excuse not to get out there and do something, but you got to be willing to think outside the box in order to be able to materialize what, what you're trying to do. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah another so. another huge advantage of wholesaling land is you can literally get the developer to teach you how to build. Right? And partner, you, you know, partner with the developer on your first one. Yeah. You know, you, you, you might gladly give up a percentage of, or, you know, whatever it is of what you make on a, a, a sale in order to be able to get the experience from the developer. You know what yeah. I mean? So, I mean, there's a, there's a ton of opportunities, a ton of different ways to do this. You got to look at what's best for you based on your circumstances. Cause everybody's circumstances are different. There's no cookie cutter way to do the business. I don't care what anybody tells you. You have home study courses that'll show you the basics of how stuff works, but you got to live it. You got to actually do it to really gain the experience that you need in order to be able to go from where you are to where you want to go, you know? So, yeah. and, and even when it comes to building, right? So you got contractor relationships. So you, you, fun, you find a deal, you fund it. Now you got to build up, you, you got to know the processes that it takes in order to get a house built. To me, and, and, and you might think differently than I do, Vernon, but you know, for me, man, you know, a new construction project is no different than gutting out a house. The only difference is you're framing it, <laughs> you know what I mean? And waiting oh, a little longer for some inspectors. Yes, bro. Yes, bro. So, so, um, I spent probably two years learning about building houses, right? Mm -hmm. Spent about two years, um, reading every book I could, um, <laughs> talking to, uh, uh, mentors, both formal and informal, um, um, hired, uh, uh, my guy, Chris Jefferson, uh, paid him. CJ, shout out him. to CJ. Shout out to CJ, man. Uh, paid, paid, paid him to sit, sit down in his office in Richmond, Virginia, uh, for two or three days straight, locked, locked in a room with a whiteboard. He was like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna teach you the process. Right. Um, and I didn't feel like I was ready. 
right? I was like, man, it's still a lot. It's still a lot I don't know. But I remember there were there were two rehab projects back to back. One rehab project was a fire damage, where the foundation was okay, but did a bunch of reframing. So mm-hmm. basically, did everything but the foundation. The very next project was one where I had to rebuild the foundation in sections, the entire foundation. And when I finished the second project, I was like, okay, over the last two projects, I've built a house, right? I've built a house. Like, so stop being scared of the idea of building a house. Like you just, you just did it. You know what's so crazy, man? A lot of people, I think that's what the fear is for a lot of people, man. They think that there's some, some, type of unknown thing that they don't know even rehabbers right they i don't know what it is that that prevents people from wanting to get started it's like buying land and building houses is a whole different world when it's really it's not really it's actually easier to build a house than it is to rehab a house you know i agree true i agree so i've got i've got a i've got a a framework um uh, a 16 week building schedule and it Mm -hmm. breaks down what you're doing each week um, and the great, so a re, you know, a rehab, every rehab is a one-off. Everyone is a one-off. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you have two houses built, uh, in the same neighborhood that are, that are next to each other, be different. that were like built by the same builder. I uh, like in my, in my area of Washington, DC, you know, we've, we've got some houses that are over a hundred years old. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like some of these neighborhoods, you had the same builder. Here's the deal. If, if both houses were built in 1930, you know, I'm, I'm rehabbing one right now built in 1926. Mm-hmm. If both of the houses were built at the same time, don't you realize one house could have been renovated yep. eight times over the last, mm-hmm. you know, hundred years and another house could have been only touched three times. And if you think you're doing the same rehab, you did wrong. Oh, no. <laughs> Each rehab is, is a one-off. Right, oh, man. rehab is like, hey, I do need you, or I don't need you on this one. With a new build, you take that checklist, that those steps, and you like every every new build is. Mm-hmm. I need you. I need you. All of them ain't no one offs. It's every one we're doing the same thing every single time. So you know, a lot of us uh, entrepreneurs struggle with systems, struggle with frameworks, struggle with processes. Yep. Um, but you know that's why you got these new new construction companies. So you'll see a Fortune 500 or uh, a, a, a publicly run, a publicly traded uh, new construction company on the stock market. You won't see that when it comes to rehabbing. You can calculate your cost down to the penny when it comes to new construction. You can't do that with a rehab. That's the difference. You know what I mean? Right. So that's why you'll have larger new construction companies uh, than you would larger regular mom and pop investors who are yeah, yeah. having houses. This, yeah, and it's very real thing called decision fatigue. Yep. Decision fatigue is like, yep. it's like I'm getting tired of having to decide what has to be done on this one versus I want to just be like, hey, here's here's a template knock yourself out on every single one. Don't, don't That's it, man. Same color, cookie, cookie cutter system, right? Don't ask me, what are we doing? 
Like, don't <laughs> ask me. Uh, well, yeah, one, one time I had one of my sign guys, he asked me uh, about trim details. He said, do you want a, what was called a, a reveal? I was like, bro, I don't care, man. Like, I, mm-hmm. I'm not... I'm not supposed to be that deep in the weeds, man. That's it, man. Make it, make it look good and, and never ask me again because I don't <laughs> know and don't care, man. You, you know, know it's, it's crazy, man, because, you know, you know, I just finished up the auction property I was telling you about. And I bought this other one. It's in a state house, and we're in a in a weeds with this one right now. But open up a couple of walls, man. Termite damage like crazy. The other house didn't have termite damage. I was expecting the same budget, but we're probably going to, we're definitely over right now. It is what it is. Overage is another thing when it comes to rehabbing, right? But we had to basically rebuild 25% of the house because of termites. You know what I mean? Now we couldn't see, we, we, there was no way to foresee that. You know what been I mean? there, been there, done that. Bro, done that. <laughs> it is what been it there, is, right? Done that, yeah. But it's all part of the fun of the business, man. There's a lot we could cover today, man. I would love to have you back on this podcast, man. Um, how can our listeners get in contact with you, Vernon? Well, man, the best best way to engage uh, with me is on uh, is on social media, man. Mm-hmm. Facebook and, and IG, uh, and even um, um, YouTube. Um, Vern Vaughn One V R N V A U G H A N One. Um, and that's, I mean, that's, I'm, I'm super transparent on, uh, on, um, on social media. Like, like I, I, I find it almost my duty to, to kind of share, man, what, um, mm-hmm. the ups and downs of, of the business. Uh, and so, um, yeah, follow me on social media. You'll, you'll see me getting my, uh, man, getting my Nikes dusty, man, out, out, uh, out in the field, man. I know like, like my time is best spent in the office. Yeah, uh, behind two monitors. It's something about uh, being in the field, though, bro. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. It's like you just—I mean, you got to get out there and um, yeah, and have have hands on on your business. And uh, sure. I like to, I like, to, I like to share what's what's going on, kind of the process as mm-hmm. I uh, um, as we as we go through it. And uh, a couple of times a year, I do a infill. Uh, development one-on-one class where I give an overview of uh, real-life projects, right? So nice. not it's not fictional case studies, but um, line by line, good, bad, ugly of an actual project um, in a sequential order. Um, and so I do that locally in a DC area, uh, but I'll be expanding that offering uh to online because you know for when i do them locally it's location dependent mm-hmm. uh i do have some people fly in but it's it's mainly people that are local or within driving distance um but uh as i as i expand that to something delivered uh online also delivered over a um uh, longer course of time so so my my infill class is a one-day class but it's, I mean, I cover a lot of info in one day, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll be expanding that to uh, covering that same content, being able to go deeper into that content over the course of one month. So what do you cover your 16 frameworks during that time, during that day? Yep, yep, yep. So in that, in that day, I, I talk about those four Fs, everything from, like I say, finding, feasibility, funding to, to flipping it. Got it. Cool, man. 
I'm going to make sure I link all of that in the description box for you guys. Make sure you, you reach out to Vernon. Definitely an active investor. We need to support some active investors, not these guys who showed up during the pandemic. Look, I ain't hating on nobody. That's not what this is about, right? But, you know, I, I'm, you know, I'm sure you, you can relate to what I'm about to say, Vernon. There's a lot of misinformation out there, a lot of fly-by-night people who, you know, they when the market is hot, everybody's an investor. When it's not, right. look, crickets. <laughs> right. The, the market is not hot right now. So nobody's popping up on YouTube except Jamel and Vernon. You know what right. I mean? Um, the market is not hot right now. So you don't see all the ads on social media right now. But Vernon, uh, Vernon and, and you know myself and guys like us who are actually doing the business are still cranking away. And there's a reason for that. So it's best to learn from... You know, people who are actually doing the business. You know, obviously everybody has something that they can bring to the table. Again, I'm not trying to take anything away from anybody, but let's be real. You know, if you want to succeed, you got to do what people who are actually doing the business are doing as well. You know, so make sure you reach out to Vernon. And, um, you know, uh, he, he has a lot that he can bring to the table and um, teach you guys as well. Um are you reading anything in particular right now or anything that helped you get to where you are, Vernon? I mean, I've um I've got a few favorite a few favorite books, some books I'm probably reading for like the uh second, second or third time. Uh one of uh or actually two or two of the books that kind of um I uh read especially as I as I started adding uh development to my toolkit. It's it's one mm -hmm. book called Building Atlanta. Uh, mm -hmm. by uh, Herman, Herman Russell. Uh, it's all, you know, it's, it's like, so like anytime I'm like, man, I'm tired of, I'm like, man, these, these inspectors or these permit people are taking forever. Uh, man, it's terrible. Uh, imagine, imagine being a developer in the South, right? In, 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 in racist um, Atlanta, um, back during the segregation era, like imagine that, right? Mm -hmm. And that's and that's what this book is, um, building Atlanta is about. It's, it's like I mean, it you know, Herman uh, Russell had to go as far as uh, hiring a uh, a figurehead for his company because he couldn't let buyers know. I mean, I'm sorry, sellers, land sellers know he was black. Mm. Couldn't you know? He could he could not let them know because if they found out, they absolutely would not sell to him. It happened to me a couple of times these days, man. So I know, you know, I know it's happened to, to you and, right. and others like us as well, man. But it is what it is. Yeah, I mean, but it, it's, it's, a, it's a great book about, it's a great book about just uh, pers perseverance. Um, I love and, that, man. Uh, I got to check that out. Yeah. And then another book called The uh, uh, People's uh, Principles, uh, a uh, uh, developer. Uh, our Donahue Peebles came, came out of Washington, D.C., came yep. out, of, out of my yep. hometown, started as a, as an appraiser, uh, built one of the first um, large office buildings um, um, east of the um, uh, east of the Potomac River. So the west of the river is where Capitol Hill is and the east of the Potomac River is, is D.C. Um, in, in neighborhoods that were just, um, you know, um, kind of low-income neighborhoods, but um, it, it, it talks about how he started in D.C. and went on to 
Florida and now is, you know, doing things in, in, in New York City. But it just mm-hmm. once again, I mean, they, they are they're both books um, that are aspirational and, and kind of talk and show how you can start small and and small starts don't don't dictate your finish by That's right, man. any stretch of the imagination. Right. It's, it's no it's li- literally there are no ceilings. Right. And, and you, you know, I, I like to read books that remind me of that. Like it's no, no limitations other than the ones we, we put in ourselves. Yeah. Love it, man. I'm going to definitely link both of those books in a description box for you guys to be able to go out and check those out as well. Um, you know, those are great books when it comes to, like, like you said, perseverance, um, getting over the hurdles, you know, uh, getting your mindset right prepping your mind to be able to get, you know, to be able to know what to expect when you're actually in the field doing these things. So again, we're creative thinkers. We have to think outside the box as real estate investors, books like that can help you expand your thinking. And that's what this is all about. Um, what advice would you give to our listeners? Um, or final words would you provide for our listeners that are looking to get started investing in real estate? So spend, look, definitely spend time learning about the business. I mean, in this business, it's so many ways uh, you can do it, right? So many ways you can do it. And one of the questions I'm often asked is what is the best type of investing, right? And I always tell people you are asking the wrong Mm. question, right? You need to be able to, if you're going to ask that question, the person you're asking that question of, you need to be able to tell them where you are and what's your goals and say, based on what I told you, what do you think would be the best investing type for me? All right? Because if you ask five different people, what is the best type of investing, you will get five different answers. And it's not that they're lying to you. They're going to tell you the investing type that worked best for them, right? But you got to realize kind of who you are or even realize who you aren't, right? And so just realize if you try to do something that is not you and is not ever going to be you, you probably won't have the success you're Mm -hmm. looking for, right? But when you do find when you find like, Hey, this is, this is me. This, this fits into my personality. Uh, this fits into my resources. Um, this fits into my goals. You will probably have more success in that area of investing in that area of life area of career than you would had you gone to something that seemed like it made the most amount of money. Like first, I know a lot of people who, uh, in college, you know, they were like, they're going into IT. Then they realized they hated IT, <laughs> right? And, and they realized that uh, in IT, like, okay, you you learn this area of IT uh, in five years, it's going to be obsolete. So you got to keep learning. They were like, man, that sucks, right? You have other people that, that love it, right? And so, but but using that example, finding something that's like, okay, this, this is my lane. This fits me. Um, you'll, you'll find success. You'll absolutely find success. 
with what I would say is far less effort. Not, not that you won't work, but it, it won't feel like torture um, every time you're every time you're, you're, you're doing it, man. And that that is what I would would recommend. Spend time getting to learn a business. Soak up, soak up the free resources when the time is right. Uh, pay for education, pay for a coach, uh, pay for pay for a mentor. Because look, in this business, you can learn a lot free, man. YouTube University, Facebook groups, podcasts, you can learn so much free, right? But there's going to come a time when you probably do need to get a coach uh, or a mentor or pay for some education to really drill down on the strategy or strategies uh, that you have um, determined Um you, you want to pursue. Um, that's that's one just out of curiosity, man. You know, you, you mentioned that you when you were at that point where you said, I need to do new construction, you paid CJ. Right. And, you know, we all have, you know, CJ is a really good friend of mine, good friend of yours. You still support him by uh, paying him for his time. Right. Uh, let me ask you this. And, and, and you, we don't have to give the exact number, but was it a moderate investment to be able to sit down with somebody that you knew could help you in your real estate investing business? Yeah, it, it was, it was a four figure, four figure investment. investment. It was a four figure, right? four figure investment. And it, and it wasn't a thousand dollars. That's my point. <laughs> right? Right? And, that, and that's the whole point, right? Yeah, so yeah. you have to be willing to yeah, put yeah. forth the investment in order to be able to get to where you are sometimes as well. You know, uh, the way you want to go. Sometimes. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, here's the deal. Here's the deal. So, because look at here's one, one thing. One thing before you get into that, look at how much money yeah. you've made yeah. from that one investment because you chose to make that investment. I mean, you're building up houses. You're obviously making, you know, five and six figure checks on these uh on these properties. You know. Yeah. Man, Chris would not have been doing me a favor had he said, "Come down for free." You want to never um, win. <laughs> That would, not, that would not be because here's the deal. Um, uh, go to go to any bookstore, right? Go to uh, Barnes and Nobles, right, or Borders. Uh, yeah, I think Barnes and Nobles is still open. Okay, and so um, and I, I used to do this. I used to when I heard about a new book, I used to go in there like a Saturday, and uh, I, I'd start reading like a little bit of the book just to get an idea. Before you know it, three or four hours went by and I'm like through half of the book, right? Uh, like a self, a self-help or, or improvement mm -hmm. book or business book, right? Uh, and, but that whole little section, that whole self and self-development, uh, section is always mm -hmm. packed, right? Uh, you're going to, you're going to pay for books, uh, go, go to a free public library, nobody, nobody in there, but, but little kids and retirees. So, so once again, uh, same books. One place is free as long as you got a library card. The other place is $19.95, $39.95 for a book. So you got to say why. Because often free is seen as worthless, right? Uh, paid is seen as priceless. Uh, luxury goods, man. Luxury goods, right? Luxury, uh, des a designer. You know, uh, uh, designer sweatshirts, sweatshirt, right? They charge a thousand dollars, two thousand dollars. Seen as seen as priceless. Seen as, oh man, I have to have this, right? A sweatshirt from Walmart 
is seen as like next to worthless. Right. Perception. And so with education, yeah, with perception, um, when the first time, the first time I did my infill development class, it was free. And this was like during kind of on a tail end of the pandemic when they were like, if you had more than 10 people in a room together, we locking y'all up. Right. <laughs> right. It was, but so, so I was, so I said, Hey, I'm thinking about doing this meetup at a property. Who wants to come? Everybody was like, yes. And I was like, okay, it's free. Uh, you just got to register, right? Because I can only do 10 and I got to make sure, you know, if somebody gets sick, I can let everybody know. So I was like, y'all got to register. So I said 10 people, 10 people register quickly, like instantly. How many um, showed? Like half of them. Now, now half of them. And I was like, and I was mad. Cause I was like, man, y'all, you know, I had, I had like 40 people that want to come in. So if you weren't going to come, you could have told me and I could have told somebody else. Yes, you can come. And, and somebody was like, yeah, bro, no wonder they ain't come. It was free, right? It was free. So I register, I don't come. Oh, oh well. Right. Right. And first time I did a paid class. Everybody. Everybody you know what's funny about that, that man? I, right. Cause you know, handful of years ago, we're talking, 16 17 18 i was doing these seminars out here locally um 50 to 100 people per seminar nothing crazy big um but these were paid seminars people were they were literally paid for and 40 percent of them still wouldn't show up it was mind-boggling yeah and when they were free we had to do it like so we had a free class and then um, we had the paid class, right? So during the free class, I mean, we had so much follow-up. It was, you know, let's say 100 people register for a free class, 10 of them, 15 of them would show up, right? Then when it came to the paid class, 40% of them wouldn't show up. It's amazing to me. But the more you, the more your ticket price is, the more people show up. Yeah, it, um, so you you do feel a, so after, after, after sitting in a room with CJ for, for two or three days and, um, paying four figures, I was more invested in my own. That's success. right. Had it been free, bro, had it been free, I'd have been right. like, ain't no pressure if I don't do a deal. It ain't cost me nothing, but, but, but three days. So what, right. um, you, you rationalize, you're like, okay, I at least need to make my money back. <laughs> right. And so sometimes you don't even, sometimes you don't even have big goals. Sometimes like, man, I, I need you to just get my money back, back out of it. Right. Yeah. And you, you accidentally end up, uh, That's succeeding, right. man. I mean, it's funny. It's funny the way that goes. Same with sometimes having a coach It's like, okay, if I'm going to pay the price to sit down with this person, um, like, man, I better make sure I get something out of it. I better make sure I get some type of ROI out of it. Right. It's, it's essentially, it's betting on yourself. That's right, man. Not, not betting on your football team, not betting on a Washington commander. You don't want to do that. It's, uh, it's bet, it's betting on yourself to, uh, to, That's it, to pay man. off. Hey bro, this has been a fantastic podcast, man. I had a lot of fun doing this one. Um, real laid back conversation, man. That's what makes it even better. You know what I mean? 
Looking forward to having you back, man. If you guys want to see Vernon back, do me a favor, leave a comment in the comment section um, and let, let us know what you want to talk about. If you want us to go a little deeper into what we've already talked about, just let us know. But be sure to like this video, subscribe to the channel, click the notification bell, share this podcast with as many people as possible who you think can benefit from it. But more importantly, check out Vernon's information in the uh, description box so that you guys can get a chance to know him a bit more as well. Vernon, man, shout out to you. We appreciate you uh, hopping on board and sharing some value with the audience today. And we look forward to seeing you guys on the next one. Take care.